I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in Sydney in the 80s. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. But this season, we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Now, full disclosure listeners, these episodes are going to get very, very violent. The reason we are talking about this incredibly violent crime is because I'm actually heading to Los Angeles in about a week from now. And Dad and I were racking our brains and thinking, what is an iconic case from Hollywood, from Los Angeles, where I'm headed for a couple of weeks, that we can actually talk about on the show, that we can dive into. And we decided we absolutely had to take a look at this case. The Black Dahlia is one of the most gruesome crimes in history. And Dad, you wanted to kick things off with a bit of a paragraph that you've dug up from the archives. Could you read that for us? Mm. Well, I thought, seeing we're going to sort of go very deep Mm. um, into what I believe is, for me, probably, and that's a big call, Yep, taking into consideration the things I've seen in my life, mm-hmm. um, but this is this is the absolute pointy end of the fucked up spectrum. Okay, if, if there is a way to describe a spectrum, I think that's quite apt. So, in 1949 in Los Angeles, this is after the Second World War, yeah. where the government of the day were trying to sort of make women feel very, very comfortable and positive, and and really just feel very safe with basically men in uniforms. Okay, so when men came back from the war, mm-hmm. they wanted the women of the country to just to feel that they were safe and everything was honky dory, and that also, of course, that 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 sort of understanding moved across to the way the government wanted people to feel about the police force. Now, in things were so bad in Los Angeles <clears throat> that in 1949 they had a grand jury, and the Foreman of the jury, a Mr. Lawson, and I'm going to quote. So this kind of is going to set the scene for for this series we're doing, Paul. And he said, There is every possibility that we will summon before the jury officers involved in the investigation of these murders. We find it odd 
that there are on the books of the Los Angeles Police Department many unsolved crimes of this type. Because of the nature of these murders and sex crimes, women and children are constantly placed in jeopardy and are not safe from attack. Something is radically wrong with the present system for apprehending the guilty. The alarming increase in the number of unsolved murders and other major crimes reflects ineffectiveness in law enforcement, agencies and the courts, and that should not be tolerated. And in his statement, he went on to say that Lawson placed the blame for the unsolved homicides squarely on the shoulders of law enforcement and the courts. Okay. So So it's pretty heavy. Yeah, and that's the kind of climate we are living in in this story. Mm. But if we flash back a couple of years... I am going to read from a page from the Daily Police Bulletin. This was published on Tuesday, January 21st in the year 1947. I'm looking at a facsimile that we'll post on the Facebook page of the actual... This is basically the first time that the majority of the public heard about the case of Elizabeth Short. And in today's episode, we are going to start this triptych of episodes looking at Elizabeth Short herself. Now, later on, she was known as the Black Dahlia. That was the moniker given to her by the papers. But... We want to look at her as a person before we look at what happened to her. We're going to try and figure this out. But let's start with this bulletin in the Daily Police Bulletin, uh, which is titled Wanted Information on Elizabeth Short Between Dates of January 9th and 15th, 1947. That's a bit weird. January 15th is my birthday. And the description here says, Female, American, 22 years, 5 foot 6 inches, 118 pounds. What's that in kilos, Dad? Do you know? Not much. Um, Pretty light. Two and a half pounds to the kilo. Does okay. that help? I, I, you know me. I'm functionally mathematically illiterate. Let's keep going. Black hair, green eyes, very attractive, bad lower teeth, fingernails chewed to the quick. This subject found brutally murdered, body severed and mutilated January 15th, 1947 at 39th and Norton. Now, given Dad, parenthetically, I should add that I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm actually going to try and visit this spot Great. Um, and mm. just try and figure out the arc- the, uh, the, the uh, geography. Mm. I'll, I'll keep reading from this notice in the bulletin. Subject on whom information wanted, last seen January 9th, 1947, when she got out of car at Biltmore Hotel. At that time, she was wearing black suit, no collar on coat, probably cardigan style, White fluffy blouse, black suede high-heeled shoes, nylon stockings, white gloves, full-length beige coat, carried black plastic handbag, two handles, 12 by 8, in which she had black address book. Subject readily makes friends with both sexes and frequented cocktail bars and night spots. On leaving car, she went into lobby of the Biltmore and was last seen there. Inquiry should be made at all hotels, motels, apartment houses, cocktail bars and lounges, nightclubs to ascertain whereabouts of victim between dates mentioned. In conversations, subject readily identified herself as Elizabeth or Beth Short. Attention officers H.H. Hansen and F.A. Brown, homicide detail. So, this police bulletin was issued, uh, like I said, January 21st, 1947. The body was found on the uh, 15th. But the body that was found did belong to uh, a real person. And we think it's important to actually delve into the story of this real person to stop her being reduced to effectively a, you know, caricature. Mm. Mm. Um, Like they said in the bulletin, she was known as Beth Short, uh, also known as Betty Short. Mm. And she was born 29th of July, 1924 in Mm. Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, Big family. Yep. So, Paul, she liked to be called Betty. Now, the reason she would like to be called Betty is that 
due to my sort of insane research, and I'm talking yeah. absolutely, I went through every single unredacted file that was um, on record with the FBI. Oh, yeah. Can we just quickly say to listeners, and this is important, um, due to the Freedom of Information Act, and we're not sure how many of you know this, but you can actually read the entire um, entire FBI files. Mm. It's a... <clears throat> It's almost 200 pages of, uh, of PDF, and it's it's a really harrowing read. And Dad spent the weekend uh, reading it all mm. and taking and I, notes. Yeah, and I really enjoyed it because mm. it made me feel... Now, I know that we've said to listeners that I don't like reading. <clears throat> That's I don't like reading fiction. But for me, this was like simply sitting down, and I spent five hours on the weekend. Yeah. Five hours, um, I became obsessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine would, would say to me, did you hear what I just said, John? And I'd say... Yes, and then she'd make me try and repeat it, which I couldn't. So oh, you yeah, lied. I did. You did that thing where you, yeah, I did that too. Um, and um, but I became engrossed, and I felt as though I was, I guess, like a a gumshoe or a you know private detective sitting in sort of some smoke filled dark room with a sort of one sort of low light bulb, and I became so. It it was almost comforting to be going down this path. And I read every single memo. Memo. Yeah, I read every single memo. Memo. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, listeners, uh, something that surprised me from the get-go, a term I don't like using, and I'll never use it again, is that this was a case where J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, was very much involved in this case. I'm talking, I have read letters that he typed. I've read all the correspondence and it is an extraordinary, extraordinary story. Putting aside the terrible, terrible, um, you know, way she was dealt with, which we'll come to uh, later. But uh, what I wanted to say, sorry, listeners, so what I did, I dug up a photograph of her yearbook and she actually signed her name Betty Short. Right. Uh, so I probably would imagine that that's what she liked to be called. Yeah. Um, but like all good stories, Paul, uh, good slash bad, the story with her father... Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to the father in a second, right? Mm, but Yeah. Yeah, but family is important. This stuff, this family stuff, is really interesting. Mm. Um, she had a very interesting upbringing. She was one of uh, five sisters. Uh, she was kind of the middle child. So Virginia and Dorothea were the eldest. She's in the middle, and then there's Eleonora and uh, Muriel. Mm. And uh, her parents were named Cleo and Phoebe. And in 1926, uh, they moved from Hyde Park, Massachusetts, where Betty was born. I wish I don't feel right calling her Betty. Let's call her Elizabeth. Um, and they moved to Medford, Massachusetts, and that's kind of where Elizabeth grew up. And like you mentioned, her father, his name was Cleo Short, and he had this very strange job. He mm. made uh, m- mini golf courses, basically. So I don't know if you've ever played mini golf, Dad. It is a very odd, very specific. Have you played mini golf before, Paul? Um, do you remember the Pizza Hut? Um... At Warringah Mall years uh, ago. Yeah, vividly. Yeah, they had a mini golf course there. Hey, what? Yeah, it was called um, Mini Putt Putt. Hang on, so right, I know the one you're talking about. It was in the kind of car park. It was yeah. elevated. It, be- it became a sizzler later on. But That's it was right. you go there for the works. Remember, we go, you go and you pay like five I don't bucks. Like- and you- people to know that i've ever done that paul dad we used to do that once every six months it was very rare but mm. you're saying in the grounds of the pizza hut there was a putt putt golf course correct is that- 
And you... mate, it was look. That's that. If you wanted a party, yeah. Not if you wanted to party. If you wanted a party. If you wanted a party, and you wanted yes. to take your your delinquent children, mm-hmm. and we used to only take you kids there at night time. Yeah. So you just couldn't even see the ball. But yeah, good because it was good lighting. That- Dad, I never, I, I promise you, I never played putt putt at a pizza hut. I think you're having a dream. I think you've crossed over <laughs> some weird threshold. Look, yes. regardless, regardless, this is what her dad did for a living. Cleo Short made mini golf courses. And the story gets really odd. In 1930, when uh, Elizabeth is six years old, Cleo I, parks his car on a bridge. I think it's such a sad part of the story, Paul. He, it's so weird. He disappears. And they find his car parked next to the bridge and they assume that mm. he's thrown himself off the bridge and that he's dead. Mm. So Elizabeth's mother, Phoebe, basically has to raise five daughters by herself. And what happens then, Dad? Well, after a few years, yeah, um, the dad mm-hmm. writes to the wife. So he wasn't that. No, he writes several years later. Right. And he asks for forgiveness. Did, was, did, he, did he fake his death? Was there financial fake. trouble? Or? Mm, yeah, he was. Look, there were all sorts of dramas. He was. He was. Um, if you sort of want to take time off off mic, so to speak, off camera, mm. You, mm. you are welcome, listeners, to go and sort of explore that particular narrative. But it was all to do with um, financial stress. His business okay. was going down the gurgler. Uh, and he just felt the, that he couldn't no longer hit a hole in one. But this, they're in Massachusetts. So Phoebe Short is in Massachusetts with five daughters. Uh, the dad gets back in touch and says, "Hi, sorry, asking for forgiveness." And she just says, "I'm Gets sorry, up, basically. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I just don't ever want to see you again." But at this point, um, Elizabeth Short starts writing to her dad. Yes. Yeah. So Which she gets of, in touch. Yeah. yeah. She, she, understandably, she wants to kind of get in touch with her dad. Um, and then something interesting happens. She has asthma. And one of the things that apparently help asthmatics is being in warmer climates. I know some people who've actually moved from down south of Australia up to Queensland to deal with this mm. kind of stuff. Mm. So she heads across in 1940 to Florida um, to kind of help with her condition. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. And she starts working as a waitress and uh, she's kind of bouncing around a little bit. And in 1942, when she's 18, I realize I've gotten the years wrong here, by the way. No, no, no. So in 1942, when she's 18 years old, she bounces across to California to live with her dad. Mm-hmm. And but that didn't it go- It was fairly tumultuous, the relationship. Yeah, that, did, that didn't go well. No, so, you know, that it was a quarrelsome situation and they, um, they parted company. Right. And um, then in January 1943, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. she gets a job as a civilian clerk. And this is kind of important because it brings into the fore mm-hmm. the military sort of side of things. And what's going on in the world at that point as well. You know, yes, that's right. But, yeah. um, you know, there was an army camp. It was um, called Lompoc, and it's now called Vandenberg Air Base. So she worked there for, you know, s- some months, and she became... Um, actually, this is kind of... This is sort of a slightly misogynistic with what I'm about to say, but there's a term that they that they used on the base, and she became known as, get ready for this, the Camp Cutie. And they had like a contest, basically, where they voted the Camp Cutie. It's one of those weird, kind of slyly icky things they would do back then. It is pretty weird. Um, yeah. In fact, I'd like to, at, at some point in the near future, mm. read to you and the listeners um, a an article from um, a newspaper of the time. Okay. And I'm going to talk about eight or nine particular women that were murdered um, as a sort of a prequel just to let people again know what was happening in that time and what one thing that's kind of a bit creepy uh, which I'm just forewarning people is the way the media describe the victims okay which will become fairly apparent but um, when Elizabeth was this is in September 1943 mm-hmm. at the age of 19, and this is sort of fortuitous, again, for what is going to happen in her life in, in time to come, is that she was arrested for underage drinking at Santa Barbara. Now, this is interesting, Paul. What happens when you get arrested? Uh, they fingerprint you? Correct. Okay. So, at this point, she's now she's now in the system, basically. She's in the system. Yeah. For better or worse, it's now going to become that event is pivotal in the ultimate identification of Elizabeth. And we can talk about the identification process. That is, I've not been able to find anything in my research about how they actually uh, lifted the prints. And that's where I'll be able to come in with my knowledge because I actually, that's something I used to do. A lot. You've done, yeah. And if you read Electric Blue, you'll hear a lot of the the stories about the forensic stuff. But listen, something happened in December 44, uh, one year after this arrest that I really want to dwell- I really want to focus on this because you know what happened to her inevitably uh, her murder was incredibly tragic but she suffered tragedy before that and I really do want to kind of pay tribute to that moment so obviously she's working in an army base um, she's got she's made friends she's made contacts and she meets this guy called Matthew M Gordon he is a major uh, in the army she meets him over at Miami Beach they shack up they get engaged and then two days, I think it was two days, a couple of days before the end of the Second World mm-hmm. War, um, he dies in a plane crash. He dies on the 10th of August in 1945. So, I mean, that's in- incredibly tragic. Obviously, a lot of people lost, um, you know, husbands, wives, 
in the Second World War. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that sort of after a tragedy of that magnitude, you would be inclined to just, God, just try and get the hell out of there. So she heads to LA uh, in 46 to visit an ex. Um, his name's Joseph Fickling. Now, interestingly, there's a lot of suspects in the suspect pool. When you're working in a murder case and somebody gets killed, one of the first places they look is the ex, right? Like they, they, they will look at the ex. Um, but, sh- but Fickling isn't there. Um, so she's come across to LA in 46 to try and catch up with this ex of, her- of hers. He's not there. So she's basically bouncing on people's, across people's couches. She's staying in hotels, um, which means she's effectively homeless at mm. this point, mm. um, which makes her incredibly vulnerable. That's right. The, yeah. the, the modern day equivalent of being couch surfing. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and she's yeah. very young. At the, I mean, she's so young at this point. She's already been through so much. Um, now, so what happens to her next? Okay. Well, look, Paul, what happened was she, at one stage, I just want to go back to when she was um, arrested and charged at the okay. age of nineteen. It's yep. very, very important. This and yep. it's something I dug up in the in the absolute micro details of my my research. And I just want to sort of plant a small seed in the listeners' minds and yours as well. It may appear to be somewhat obscure, yeah. But I find what I'm about to say quite look. Even I'm trying to sort of imagine what I'm about to say happening at any time in history and it's kind of weird and that is that a female police officer uh, who was involved, um, you know, who was aware of the arrest of Elizabeth when she was 19, what they did is that they sent her back to Medford, mm-hmm. to the hometown. However... It had to go before the court and it had to go through sort of the, you know, the Department of Probation and Parole and Youth Administrative Services. It took nine days for that to happen. And this is something that I find unusual. And that is that a female police officer um, was, you can't deny from what I read in terms of the description of the female police officers, uh, the way she spoke about Elizabeth, mm-hmm. but she invited Elizabeth to stay with her for nine days. Interesting. So she effectively lives with, um, you know, it's, it's Elizabeth and this police officer uh, living together for nine days. And I've read some of the the descriptions that the police officer, um, you, you know, used to describe and she she definitely described her in in very very precise and very interesting ways and described her beauty so that's all i'm going to say about that at this stage okay okay there's actually a figure that's worth i think addressing so move forward to 1947 okay hmm. um january 9th it was 8th or 9th it was 8th, around then 8th of yeah, january 8th, Okay, so there's a guy called Robert Manley. Um, he was a ginger, so he was known as Red, right? So, okay, so she she heads to San Diego in 46. She's still effectively homeless. Mm. She, and then uh, in January 1947, she gets an offer of a lift to LA by this man, Robert Manley, by Red, right? Mm. Um, 
Apparently, they crash in a hotel overnight. Um, Manly insists they didn't sleep together. And then the day after that, sorry, yes, January 9th, 1947, Red takes her to a bus station, to the LA bus station, where she drops off her bags. And then uh, he went with her to the Biltmore Hotel. Mm. And he left her there at around 6.30. Now, very importantly... He, on the record, obviously, because when the cops interviewed him about this, he said he dropped her at the Biltmore. Um, she was said she was going to meet her sister there. Mm. And um, the staff at the hotel did, in fact, verify that Short was there. So basically, the staff said, yes, a guy called a guy who matched Manley's description dropped Short off. Mm. So um, that's that, I guess that alibis him. I'm not entirely sure how, but that's the last time Short is seen alive. And that's the last time she was seen alive. Now, Dad, you mentioned earlier that she was in the system. She'd been fingerprinted before. Mm. At this point, the FBI had a collection of about 100 million or more than 100 million uh, fingerprints on file. Her prints actually appeared in the file twice, apparently. Mm. A lot of people have said she wanted to be an actress, uh, although... Um, yeah, I'm she- just Paul. That's, that's just... That's a furphy. Uh, she doesn't have any on-screen credits. Yeah, she doesn't nothing. have any. No, she doesn't have any on-screen credits. Nah, that, that's, um, I, I have ab- absolutely debunked that. The press were referring to her as the Black Dahlia because apparently she liked to wear sheer black clothing. And there was a movie out called The Blue oh, Dahlia, which the year was before, correct? Yes, the year before about a similar murder. At this point, the stage is set for an absolute. I mean, I have. Everyone's heard of the Black Dahlia. Hmm. Partly because of the incredible violence of the crime, the way in which she was... uh, Well, we're going to talk about the actual murder and the actual crime scene next episode. Mm. But part part of the reason I think this really took off is because the press really ran with this. I mean, they went really hard. William Randolph Hearst played a very big part in this. And also, this was happening in... I mean, you think about just classic era Hollywood. I mean, this is the the center of the pop cultural world. The eyes are on this part of the world and there's this incredible crime that happens. Um, If you do go back and have a look at photos of Elizabeth Short when she was alive, please try and remember the fact that this... I mean, I just want to be careful that we don't... And that's why we did this first episode. We didn't want to talk too much about the actual crime this episode because we wanted to sort of establish who she was as a person before we got into what happens to her, because often with these crimes, that doesn't happen. Often it sort of becomes a weird borderline fetishization of the just really Baroque and horrifying way in which she was found. And also, if you are tempted to head across and look at the photos of the crime scene and the autopsy photos, be careful. They are genuinely disturbing. Even by today's standards, they Mm. are really bad. Yeah. And there's just something so stark about them. You know what? We're going to talk about that next week. Let's not jump the gun. We're going to talk about the actual crime next week. And then uh, in part three, we're going to talk about, well, who may have done this? Hmm. I am going to be in LA, potentially around the time this is actually heard. I will be heading across to Los Angeles and I'm going to try and head to the corner where she was found and just sort of get a feel for Incredible. what it must, it must have been like. Oh, mate, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly envious I'd, I've looked at the photographs uh, yeah. of the street mm. and okay we, we, we're back in the sort of the late 40s mm. but I found the photograph of the street where it all takes place mm-hmm. uh, which we start to really get into next episode yeah and I found it a very very sad photograph not not it's- nothing to do with it's not the crime it's not her it's the, it's the street. It's mundane. It's, it's just, just, and it's it's daylight. drab. It's drab, so... and it reminded me of a 
of a just a just a sad, if I can say this, kind of a country town. It's got this weird. Oh, Dad, LA is very strange. I mean, LA is a strange place. It's mm. just, it's got a lot of urban sprawl. It's got, a, it's, it's a very functional city, and then it just cuts to these areas of incredible opulence. But we're going to talk about that next week. Next week, you can tune in for part two of our look at the Black Dahlia. Uh, at the terrible fate of Elizabeth Short, who hopefully you now understand a little bit more about as a person. Mm. Now that we know her story, we can really delve into actually what happened to her. Mm. So make sure you tune in next week for more Loose Units. And make sure you tune in later this week for part two of our chat with the author of Hanging Ned Kelly. Have an amazing week, everyone. And we will see you very, very soon for more Loose Units. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.